You know, I mentioned uh, before, and I really do believe this, that last year was the year of breakthrough and that this year would be the year of stepping through. And what I really wanted to emphasize during that announcement or during kind of my call to you guys was that we were meant to step boldly and step courageously into whatever God is leading us next. That we are meant to go in faith to whatever God is pointing us to go to in this year. But there's one point that I want to make really clear for us. And it's that our boldness and that our courage is not going to come from our abilities. It's not going to come from how prepared we are. And it's not going to come from how talented we may seem to be. It's going to simply come from our reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. The boldness and the courage that we have in stepping out in faith is going to come from our reliance and assurance on the, on the word of God. It's because we know for a fact that the promises of God are sure. It's because we know for a fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because we have that assurance, because we are so convicted of what he has done for us, of the things that he has done, and the things that he will do in our lives, it's in that faith, it's in that boldness, it's in that courage that we're able to step forward into whatever he has in front of us. And that's why we're able to serve boldly. It's why we're able to love boldly. It's why we're able to do all of these things. Is because we don't trust in ourselves. If we trust in ourselves, then of course we're going to go up and down. Of course there are times when we may fail. We don't trust in that other person. Because if we put our expectations on another person, of course things are going to go up, things are going to go down. Our trust and our boldness and our courage comes from our assurance in the word of God. That it doesn't change. That it will stay sure. That's where it comes from. You see, church, the reason I'm mentioning this is because in this passage, in the very beginning at least, Paul and Barnabas, they go off on their first missionary journey. And they go to a city called Iconium. And it's there that we see that they enter the synagogue. And it says that Paul was preaching in such a way that many people, it says actually a great number of people, came to believe. Now, when we read that, the phrase that says, you know, he spoke in such a way, it can seem like Paul was really convincing, that he was really persuasive, that he was really eloquent in how he spoke. And, and yes, I believe that he was a great speaker. However, the secret to Paul's preaching was because he was simply led by the power of the Holy Spirit. The secret to his success in ministry, the secret to him being able to preach to the masses, for him being able to be so faithful to God, for him persevering in all circumstances, for him being one of the authors of the, almost the entire New Testament, is due to his reliance and his trust upon the word of God. That's it. For us, as a church, as Shining Star Community Church, as we head into 2021, man, I hope that we will be marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. I desire for us to be ordinary people. Yes, you heard that right. 
I want us to be ordinary people that are marked by an extraordinary God. I want us to be known as so common that it is a miracle that God is able to work within this church. I want us to be known as a church that is so miraculous because we are so full of broken and sinful people that it would only be through the power of the Holy Spirit that something great could happen. And the way that that's going to happen, church, is going to be when we rely upon the word of God, not in your abilities, not in how prepared you are. You know, I think one of the greatest examples of someone who is really empowered by the Holy Spirit was a man named D.L. Moody. He was a pastor. He was a preacher. He was considered the greatest evangelist of the 19th century. And he would be someone who tens of thousands of people would go to hear and, and people would be converted hearing him speak. Do you know how scholars described him back then? They used three adjectives. They said he was short, fat, and ugly. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Not only that, they said that he had a speech impediment, that he couldn't pronounce the characters in the Bible, that the way he would say Daniel was Daniel, and he would be saying these different words that people wouldn't understand. In fact, he was a shoe salesman. He was uneducated. He never went to seminary. He never went to college. He just simply had a love for God, and he trusted upon the word of God. And God used him powerfully. You see, church, in this passage, we see two places here that Paul and Barnabas, they go to. And the first is the city of Iconium, and the second is the city of Lystra. And in both those places, Paul and Barnabas, they, they preach the word, they, they do everything that they can, and they face a lot of opposition. But at the end of the day, the main thing that they do is they hold on to the word of God more than anything else. And they trust upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And the crazy thing is, is that there's not that much fruit. We don't see long-term fruit happen there. We see that for both these cities, there's a lot of division that still happens. And yet, the reason why they're both successful, and the reason why we can say that both these missionary journeys were a success, was because Paul and Barnabas were faithful throughout. They trusted in the Lord. And even in the face of opposition, they still trusted in God, and they still continued on that path. They trusted in him. And that's why there's that saying, look, we just have to be faithful. God is going to be the one that's fruitful. And so right now, so in this passage at least, we're going to see two things. First is the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. And second is the identification of idols in Lystra. First is the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas. You see, in the beginning, Paul and Barnabas, they're actually really successful in evangelizing. Verse 1 says this, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. It's not just a couple people. It's not just a, a lot of people. It says a great number of people were converted. So everything seemed like it was going well. 
But then all of a sudden, verse 2 happens. And verse 2, it says this, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Right after all of their success, there were people who came in and they started to spread lies and deceit and division. There were people who were in opposition of Paul and Barnabas. And these rumors and these lies were hurting the ministry. And so Paul and Barnabas here, they had a decision to make. Because everything was going well in the beginning, and then there was division, heartache, opposition, all of this stuff was beginning to happen. And so I'm sure Paul Paul and Barnabas, they met together, and they said, what should we do? There's division here. Should we go or should we stay? And the answer is they stayed and persevered. Verse 3 says this, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the words of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What I think is so important for you to see is the beginning word of verses 1, 2, and 3. Those are conjunctions. Those are the words that connect each verse to each other. Verse 1, it starts with the word now. It means immediately. Paul and Barnabas, they go into the city of Iconium, and immediately they begin to preach. Verse 2, it starts with the word but. However, something happens. Opposition occurs. Division. And so all of these things begin to happen. Verse 3, so. So they remain. Another word for that is therefore. Church, what I want you to see is that Paul and Barnabas, they decided to persevere. They decided to remain, not in spite of the opposition, but because of the opposition that they were facing. If there was no division that was occurring in Iconium, if there was no poison that was seeping into the minds of the people, then I fully believe that Paul and Barnabas would have gone on to the next city. Why would they have stayed if things were healthy, if things were going well? But it says that because, because there was hurt, because there was opposition, because the church there was not doing well, Paul and Barnabas decided to stay and to minister. Church, if we follow the example of the early church here, if we follow the example of Acts, what that means is that we send out our best when the church is healthy. It means that when our leaders desire to go to missions, when God calls them out, that we send them out when we are healthy, when we're doing well, when we go out. Just like the church commissioned Paul and Barnabas. The church in Antioch was flourishing. It was doing well. Don't you think at that time Paul and Barnabas still would have been an asset at the church in Antioch? Of course. But they realized that there was a greater need elsewhere. They realized that the structure in Antioch was already doing well, and so they were able to send them out. However, the church at Iconium, or the place in Iconium, that had many believers, there was division happening. There was hurt happening. There was poison that was seeping into the minds there. And so therefore, Paul and Barnabas, who were some of the greatest evangelists of that time and of the history of the world, 
They decided that they needed to stay. And so verse 3 says, therefore they remained for a long time. As I was studying this passage, it made me realize that modern Christians, man, we do not think this way. Because for us, we think, man, when things are healthy, then we take that as a sign to stay. We take that as a sign to just to chill and just be where we are. But when things get difficult, man, that's a sign for us to move away. That's a sign for us to, to move to greener pastures. And I know that for a lot of us, man, some of us have been serving here for so long, year after year after year, and it seems like Shining Star is this big giant of a system that barely changes, that almost no progress seems to be made. And so you're getting frustrated, and you're wondering what to do. I know that there's others of you who have been counseling and mentoring another brother or another sister. And it's so frustrating and disappointing because that person just doesn't seem like they're changing. Or they seem to change and then revert back. Change and then revert back. And I know that it feels like, man, should I give up? Should I just stop this? But church, this passage is telling us one thing. Persevere. Persevere. Stand firm and do not give up. It is because, it is because of your opposition. It is because of the division. It is because you're frustrated that you should stay, that you should persevere, that you should cling on to Jesus ever, ever stronger. You see, church, the best way to persevere and one of the best ways to continue in the face of opposition, we read here, is to remember your testimony. Let me read to you verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. When Paul and Barnabas saw that people's minds were poisoned, it says that they began to speak boldly for the Lord who bore witness to his grace. In other words, they were able to speak boldly for the Lord because they witnessed all that he had done for them. They were able just to simply share God's grace through their testimony. Church, the most powerful weapon that you have in the face of someone who is hurt and discouraged and about to give up is going to be your testimony. One of the most powerful weapons you have for yourself when you feel discouraged, when you feel burnt out, when you feel like you're about to give up is going to be your testimony because that will be your greatest witness to God's grace in your life. I remember long time ago, I, was, I went to some place called the Dream Center Foundation. It was in L.A., and we had a worship service. It was a two-hour Sunday worship service. The pastor there spoke for five minutes. The rest of the time were testimonies because that place was centered in the middle of downtown L.A., and their main goal was to preach to every single person there who is hurting, who is homeless, who is a prostitute, who is a drug dealer. 
And so what we had was testimony after testimony of people coming up and saying, look, this is how my life was. I was a prostitute. I was a drug dealer. I was in the depths of my sin and my death. And yet I heard the gospel and it changed me forever. And when I was hearing that, man, there's no better testimony. There's no better thing that could have been given. Better than a sermon. Better than anything else. It was people's testimonies of how God has changed their lives. That changed me. It put such a fire within my heart. It put such a fire within me. Because I knew that, man, the gospel is not an intangible thing. It's not something that we cannot see. Just go out there. Look at that. You see that? It is tangible. It is real. We see prostitutes. We see drug dealers. We see pimps. We see homeless. We see people who are so down in the depths of the worst things in their life, and they hear the gospel, and their lives are forever changed. I have personally seen people who are committed to their sins so badly They think nothing can change them. They feel so hopeless. And yet the moment they hear the gospel, their lives are changed. Nothing but the gospel can do that. That is the greatest testimony. That is the greatest witness to God's grace that we will ever, ever have. And it's going to be your most powerful weapon in the face of discouragement, in the face of anything that is heading in your life. That is how you're going to persevere, church. Look, I know even for myself, and I know that for many of us, we are marred with regret. We are marred with mistakes, and we feel like our sin may be too great at times. But church, that is your testimony. Do you see that? That is your testimony to know That even in the sin that you are unwilling to share to the person who is closest to you, God, he knows that. He knows your deepest sins. He knows your darkest past. He knows your most, most regretful thing. And yet he sees you, he knows you, and he calls you his own. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he loves you. This is your weapon of perseverance, church. And what a, what a privilege it is to have that. Now, I know that, I just want to mention one thing. I know that as you read this passage, as you read the next couple of verses, it seems strange because, man, Pastor Danny, you talk about perseverance and you say, man, Paul, Paul and Barnabas, they, they persevered and they, they did these things, and yet, Pastor Danny, the next couple of verses, verse 6, it tells us that they fled, that they went to another city. So, so what's up, right? What, what gives here? Well, the short answer is this. Whether you persevere or when you give up or when you should move on to a different place, it's all a matter of wisdom. A commentator said this. We should note the combination of prudence and perseverance. The missionaries were both brave and wise. Sometimes the best way to make the gospel known may mean mean remaining. At other times, it may mean relocating. For such matters, one must seek the Father who promises to give his children wisdom when they ask him. What Paul mentioned before, and I think it was in 1 Corinthians, he said, look, God, he rescued me from this place. 
And so what it seems like is that God they spoke to Paul and Barnabas, told them to go to a different place, and so God led them out of that city. But it's going to be a matter of wisdom for you guys as well, of when to stay and endure in those places and when to move aside. In the same way that I would never recommend or tell anyone who's in an abusive, physically abusive relationship to stay where they are, of course not. It's a matter of wisdom. It's a case-by-case basis. It's a matter of you being wise. Another commentator, he's, he said, look, Paul and Barnabas, they were born again. They weren't born yesterday. It's going to be that same type of idea. Use your wisdom. And if, you're, if you know that you're not wise, ask someone who's wise within the church. We can direct you. Okay? And so Paul and Barnabas, they persevere in the face of opposition, and they go to this other town called Lystra. And it was there that Paul, he performed a miracle, and the man who could not walk all of a sudden could. And so the people were amazed, and they thought that Barnabas was Zeus, and they thought that Paul was Hermes. And so the natural reaction for the people in Lystra, because they were people who worshipped these gods, was to worship Paul and Barnabas. And so they were preparing sacrifices, and they were about to bow down and worship Paul and Barnabas. And this was the exact opposite of what these missionaries wanted, because they wanted the miracles to point back to God. They wanted it to be easier to speak about the gospel. And yet what it ended up doing was pointing the miracle back to those people, to, to, to Paul and Barnabas. And so what Paul and Barnabas do is they begin to speak about the deepest issue of the people's hearts. And the way they do that is they identify the idols that they held. Verse 15, it says this, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Paul's sermon here is so different than the other sermons that he's preached. In this sermon, in this short phrase that he talks about God to these people with, he doesn't mention sin at all. He doesn't talk about the law at all. He doesn't say the word commandment at all. And the reason why is because the people at Lystra, they don't know the Bible. They've never read it. And so he speaks to them in their terms. And he says one thing. He says, you are enslaved to idols that are worthless. He uses the word vain. These vain things. Now the word vain that Paul uses is another word that means empty, deceptive, and ineffective. It's a word that means it's going to leave you feeling empty. Because the people at Lystra, they believed, in, um, they believed in many, many different gods. And so they believed in these different gods that could give them something. And so what they would do is that they would worship the god of commerce in order to get money. They would worship the god of war in order to have victory in war. They worshiped the god of agriculture so that they could have a really good harvest. The reason why they would worship these different gods was so that those gods could give them something. And therefore, when they saw Paul and Barnabas doing these great miracles, 
they immediately began to worship and offer sacrifices because they believed, look, if I worship Zeus and Hermes here, if I worship Paul and Barnabas, then they're going to perform miracles, miracles in my life too. They're going to be able to do these things. So all I have to do is worship them, and they're going to give to me what I want. I'm going to try to connect this to us. For many of us, I know that we don't call God Zeus or Hermes. But I know that one of the most prevalent things within Christian culture today is that many of us turn to God in order to get what we want. We turn to God because we're trying to fulfill something that we desire. We want more money. And so we ask God, we say, God, we, I believe in you. I trust in you. Give me more money. We want love. We want, to, we want marriage. And so we say, God, I believe in you and I trust in you. So God, give me a relationship. Give me marriage. We ask God for all of these different things, one after a time. And when those things don't happen, we become disillusioned. And we say, God, I can't trust you. I can't believe in you. And we turn away because, man, it seems like God isn't following his character. Church, I want you to know that if this is you, if this is the way that you think, then you will be disappointed. Because the purposes of God are not meant to serve us. We are not meant to be served. We are meant to serve God. The center of the world does not revolve around us. The center of the world revolves around him. But for these people in Lystra, for the people back then, their gods were just an illusion of their own hearts. That they just wanted these gods in order to fulfill something within them. And for so many of us, we're doing the same thing. We're trying to turn the God of the Bible into the God of commerce, into the God of war, into the God of agriculture. And so the way that we pray to God is say, God, I trust in you only if you provide these things for me. And when he doesn't work the way that we want him to, man, we throw away God, just like these other people in Lystra were able to throw away their other gods and just focus on Paul and Barnabas. You see, church, for us, we believe that God is God and we are not. We believe that his ways are mysterious. We believe that his plans are incomprehensible. We believe that his purposes sometimes will not make sense to us. However, we trust in him. And we trust that he loves us. That's what we have to hold on to. And look, it's good to pray for those things. It's good to pray for your business. It's good to pray for marriage. It's good to pray for your children. But the way that you should be praying is this. Is this God, I pray for this. I desire this. I want this badly. But more than, I, more than my desires, I want your will to be done. God, I want these things. I fervently knock at your door and I ask. But even if they don't happen, God, I trust in you. I trust in your character. I trust in your love. I trust in your plans. So your will be done. 
But so many of us leave that second part out and we simply pray and say, God, give me this, give me this, give me this. And when it doesn't happen, the reason why we're so disillusioned and discouraged is because we forget that our lives don't revolve around us, that the world doesn't revolve around us, and that we are meant to serve God and that everything else is an added benefit. That's why even later in the couple verses after this, Man, it shows us that he, Paul, he says, look, he's the God of the heavens, the God of the seas, the God of all the, of the good things, the food in your life. God, you see, he's saying, has given you infinitely more than we can ever deserve. James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. Every good gift, every good gift comes from him. And you see, this is what Paul is saying to the people of Lystra. Everyone is looking for something to fulfill them and give them meaning. But as good as money and success or victory will be, those things will only leave you empty and vain. And he's giving a warning out to those people, and he's giving a warning to us today as well, that if you're dedicating your life to building up your identity in money or in your family or in your business, or if you are trying to pray to God in order to turn him into a God such as these gods here, one day you're going to be disillusioned, you're going to be disappointed, and you'll realize that everything that you built up is vain and meaningless. Worship God for who he is. He is God, we are not. And trust that he loves you. And it's why Paul, he ends that part saying that there's only one thing that's not going to fail you. It's not going to be your children. It's not going to be your spouses or your career. The only one person that's not going to disappoint you or fail you is Jesus Christ. When you worship him for simply who he is, then you will find your true meaning and your true purpose in life. I just want to end with this. I, you know, I wish that I could say that Paul and Barnabas, after they did all of this stuff, that everything was peachy, everything was good, that people stayed saved, and, I mean, people were saved, and, and people, you know, many people, and they were able to set up you know, these great churches in these two cities. However, it wasn't like that. They did their best. We know that the Holy Spirit moved powerfully. And yet it says in verse 4 about the city of Iconium that the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then in verse 18 it says about the city in Lystra. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Even with the greatest speakers and minds of Paul and Barnabas, we see that not everything turns out perfectly. We see that there was still division that happened. Because here's the truth, church. The gospel is divisive. It's meant to be that way. There are going to be times when people accept the Lord, when their lives are changed, and there's going to be other times when people simply do not. 
And that's not a matter of your faithfulness. That's not a matter of God working powerfully within you. That's not a matter of the Holy Spirit or anything like that. Sometimes the gospel is just simply divisive in that way. It says in the Bible here, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. There are times when the Holy Spirit works, when things are aligned. There are other times when it's not. That's simply how the gospel works at times. And we see this in the example of both Iconium and Lystra. But as I looked through this passage and I saw all of these different moving parts, I saw one thing in particular, that Paul and Barnabas, they did not compromise the word. They did not bend or alter anything that they said in order to fit the culture better, in order to appease the people better, in order to do one thing or another, they simply stuck to the word of God, and therefore their mission and their trips to these two cities were a success. When I look upon Shining Star and the people here, I hope and I pray that as we move forward in 2021, as we look at this year as a year of stepping through, that we would be uncompromising in our belief and our reliance upon the word of God. I hope that we stick to the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything else, that we don't try to fit into a certain mold, that we don't try to go into a certain way, that we don't try to appease a certain type of people, that we would, that, but that we would stick to the word of God more than anything else. The most compelling thing about Christianity and about the church is Jesus Christ. It's not going to be anything else. It's not going to be our programs. It's not going to be our building. It's not going to be anything else. The most compelling and the best thing about Christianity is that it's focused and centered upon Jesus Christ. That's my hope for us. I want us to be secure in our faith in Jesus Christ. And look, we're going to face opposition. We will face discouragement. But as long as we're focused upon the word of God and upon what he's done for us, man, we are heading in the right direction. Amen? Let's pray.